Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I believe it tells us exactly what God's ultimate favor is on our life. I've been preaching a series on the favor of God. And I was trying to think, Lord, how can we continue this vein that we're in? And the Lord says, duh. It's just so simple to see because God's favor on us is this, his ultimate favor. Romans 5, 8 says, for God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if that isn't grace, I don't know what is. That isn't the ultimate grace. I don't know what is. Because it's easy for us to love somebody that loves us, right? It's easy for us to show favor to them. Now, I've got grandkids. My grandkids, I'm sorry, but they're my favorite of all the grandkids in the world. They're the most intelligent, the most beautiful, most gorgeous little grandkids that, that are on the planet. Now, I know I would have a lot of people, and if you've got grandkids, you would stand toe-to-toe with me and argue with me all day long. Why? Because they're your favorite, Right? You favor them. Well, here's the thing. We're all God's favorite. We're all God's favorite. We are all given his grace. Now, the fact that Jesus died for us is exceptional. Jesus told, told his disciples in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What did Jesus do for us? He says, from now on, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. So he was laying down his life for us so that we could lay down our lives for him. Are you a friend of Jesus? Jesus is a friend of sinners. So he laid down his life for us. Now we lay down our lives for him. Now, here's a Greek word I want you to get a hold of. And it is the word harmatalos. And it means a sinful sinner. A despiser of God, ungodly. That's what was mentioned here in Romans 5.8. For God showed his love toward us, and while we were sinners of sinners, ungodly, despisers of God, Jesus died for us. No better way for God to show his love and favor toward us than that. Now, I'm like you. I would do my friends any favor that I possibly could. If I, I got friends everywhere. If they ask me to do something, if I can do it, if it's within my power to do it, if it's not illegal or unethical or immoral, I'll do it. I'll do whatever I can to help them. Why? Because they're my friends. Jesus did the same for us. He showed his ultimate favor because, why did he do it? Because he loved us. He loves us. That's the reason. That's, that's why God has shown his ultimate favor to us. Jesus said in his discourse with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in John chapter 3, you know, Nicodemus came to him in the middle of the night because he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. And he knew it wasn't good for him, it wasn't good for his his uh, uh, job for him to be caught talking to Jesus in the middle of the day because, frankly, a lot of his friends didn't like Jesus very much. 
because he was always breaking the law by healing on the Sabbath and such horrible things as that. Can you imagine that Jesus going around breaking the Sabbath and, and healing people when he could have done it any other day of the week? And, you know, I, I noticed that in the book of Mark. It seemed like just about every time Jesus healed somebody publicly, he did it on the Sabbath. I think he's trying to make a point, don't you? I think he was trying to show that, that he was there to do good. And it doesn't matter when you do good, just do it. But here's the thing. He, he did it because he loved people. Now, here comes, here comes Nicodemus to Jesus in the middle of the night. And he's asking him, he says, now, I know that you're from God. It's obvious. Because nobody could do the things that you do if you weren't from God. Would you agree with that? I mean, if I were a Pharisee and I saw somebody doing what Jesus did, I'd have to say, you know, judging from the appearance of things, he's got to be from God because nobody could do that kind of stuff. So he says, Rabbi, if you're from God, then what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? What was Jesus' response in verse 3? He says, in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, you've got to do one thing. You must be born again. You must experience a, a spiritual birth. How's that going to happen? How do we experience a, a spiritual birth? The, you know, Nicodemus didn't understand the things of the Spirit, obviously, because he's, he said to Jesus, how is this possible for me to be born again? Do you mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb? That don't make sense, does it? I mean, I could just see the guy scratching his poor little pharisaical head and saying, I don't, I don't get it. Be born again? And Jesus said, you're a teacher. You're a teacher, and, and you don't understand that that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. I'm talking about spiritual things here. I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. Nicodemus didn't understand that too much, but Jesus goes on to say, and, and he's like, well, how can this happen? How, how, can, how can I do this? And Jesus said, it's, it's through me. It's by believing in me. He said in, in verse 16, he says, for God... Loved the world so much that he gave, now he's talking about himself, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I like that. And then he goes on to say, and he said, the son of man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now this is God's ultimate favor upon us, that he would send his son, in his own likeness to earth to die for us. That, that would be hard to do. I mean, I shudder to think about it. I, I love my sons so much. And God loved his son so much. But he loved us as much that he sent Jesus to die in our place. That's God's ultimate favor on us. Now, Jesus knew. He knew, he knew full well what his destiny was, what his ultimate destiny was when he came to earth. It was to die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew from the time he was, he was a little lad and, and he began to get the understanding of what was going on. He knew going forward what his ultimate destiny would be. And in only three and a half years of public ministry from the time he was 30 years old till he was 33 when he died at Calvary. Jesus did more. And the Bible says in the book of John that there were so many things that Jesus did. If they were written down in all the books and all the libraries and all the world, they still couldn't contain them. 
Yet we try to ca- capsulize what Jesus did, and there were four accounts of it in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it, it, it still can't even begin to tell all that Jesus did in that short amount of time of his public ministry. But Jesus knew what his ultimate destiny was. In three and a half years, he did a lot, but he did that to show us what to do. He came to reveal the heart of the Father to us. That the reason the Son of God was to manifest is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. For this reason the Son of Man was, man, was of God was manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, this is God's ultimate favor toward us. Now, man got himself into this situation. God put man in the garden, Adam, and, and he, he gave him a wife, and, and he only gave him one commandment. What was that? He said, you can eat anything you want to in the garden. It's all there for the taking. Got all these fruits and vegetables and everything else. I mean, they, they only knew good. They didn't even know about killing animals or nothing. They didn't know anything about any of that stuff. All they knew was everything that God had made because God said everything he made was what? Good. It was all good. And God put one tree in the middle of the garden. He says, don't eat of this tree for the moment that you eat of it, you shall, you shall surely die. You'll be separated from me. That's what death is. Thanatos. Being separated from God. They had, they did, there was, it was a concept that they were unfamiliar with. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. You know, that's the way sin is with us. A lot of times we can't understand why God tells us not to do certain things. But it's, it's pleasurable. Well, that doesn't mean it's always good. You know, people use the argument sometimes about doing this and doing that. Well, I don't see where... Where, where, where this is bad or that's bad or anything else. Well, you know, it, it harms us. It harms us. And, and I'm not going to get into all, that things, all those things, but I just want to tell you this, that God set that tree in the middle of the garden for a reason because all they knew was good. And I believe when we get to heaven that we will be back to that state that God had in the beginning when everything is good. We won't have any concept of sin. We won't have any concept of evil. We won't have any concept of that which is bad. Everything will be good. It's a wonderful place. I can't wait to get there. But in the meantime, I've got to, I've got to use the Word of God to guide me through this place that I'm at now to get me to that place that I know I'm going to ultimately be. That's where Jesus was. He walked in the truth of the Scriptures, and He fulfilled His destiny. What was His destiny? Why, it was Calvary. It was to go to the cross and die. He had to die. You know, I've shared this story many times, but I'll share it one more time just for this morning because I feel like the Lord wants me to. I didn't understand growing up as a little boy, even though I went to Sunday school just about every Sunday. I mean, my mom and dad were very religious folks. We believed in going to church. We were there on Sunday morning. We were there on Sunday night. We were there on Wednesday night. And if the preacher was washing the windows on Thursday night, we were there to watch him. We were there. When the doors were open, we were in church. We believed in being in in church. And, And we were very religious that way. But I grew up, but I never understood the concept of the gospel of why a man that was so good as Jesus had to die. Why? 
why, if God was so powerful and Jesus was so powerful, why could some Roman soldiers take him and beat him so brutally and put him on a cross? I couldn't understand until God gave me a revelation of it one night as a 20-year-old young man. And I saw the reason. And the reason was that he died in my place. That was the reason. You see, it wasn't for what he did that he was put on the cross. It's for what I did. It was for me. It was because of God's favor toward me that Jesus died. He took his favorite son and showed his favor toward me. He showed his ultimate favor by allowing Jesus to die on a cross for me. And, and that's, what he, that's what he did for us. This is his ultimate favor. Isaiah 53, the 5 says that he was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's the reason that Jesus did what he did, and he knew that. He understood Isaiah 53, 5. He knew who it was talking about. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I mean, with nobody else understood it but Jesus. He understood it. And there were some of the spiritual men that God had put on earth that understood what was going on, but the masses didn't understand. The masses still don't understand the favor of God. Do you understand the favor of God upon your life? Do you understand the magnitude of what God has done for you? Have you got a hold of it yet? Do you understand that Jesus died in your place so that you would not have to go to hell? That he died so you could go to heaven? So that you could be redeemed? So that you could be freed from the clutches of sin? So that you could walk in freedom? That's the reason he did it. It's God's ultimate favor. It's called grace. Everybody say, grace. Hey, fall in love with that. Fall in love with that word, grace. I love that word, grace, because it means favor. Charis, God's undeserved favor toward us. God favored us by allowing Jesus to go to the cross. In Romans 3.23, it says, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How, what does that word all mean? That's exactly right. I've looked it up in the Greek. And it's a three-letter word, P-A-S, pas. And it means everything. It means all, all-inclusive. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me help you out with that in case you're a little bit dull of thinking. All means that every one of us have sinned. And we are incapable of matching up to God's glory. We are incapable of approaching him without that one thing called grace. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Now this is what we earn. Wages is what you work for, right? So in our life, we work for certain things. And the wages of sin is death. So if we're working in sin, we're living in sin, we're we're going, and what is sin? Sin is transgression against God. It's rebellion against God. That's clear cut. But I thought sin was, you know, smoking, dipping, chewing, running around, boys are doing it, and all those kind of things. No, sin is much more than that. Sin is violation of the covenant of God. And if you sin in one area, guess what? You're guilty of them all. 
Wow, that's bad, isn't it? That's why all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's none righteous. No, not one. Every one of us are sinful. Now that we got that out of the way, here's the thing. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, what is a gift? Wages is what we earn. A gift is something that is given. It is something that is freely given. God gave us a gift. Eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how. We are justified by faith in what Jesus has done for us. What is justified? It means justified never sinned, according to Martin Luther. I love that. Justified never sinned. I want you to think about that. You know, we we see a baby. I love babies. They smell good. You know, especially when you give them a good bath and put that baby oil stuff on them. They just smell so sweet. You just love to hold them, feel a little soft skin and everything. They're just so precious and so innocent. Well, that's what we are through the blood of Jesus. Justified never sinned. That baby's never sinned. That baby has no concept of sin. Like Adam and Eve before they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't understand. All it knows is good. It sees his mama. He knows that's, she knows, he knows, she knows. Mama's good. I love mama. Babies naturally love mama. Why? Because that's their source of life. That's where they came from. That's their sustenance. That's their protector. Why do we love Jesus? Because he's our source of life. He's our sustenance. He's our protector. He's God's grace revealed to us. You know, I, I, I thank God that we don't get what we deserve, which is death. And this is mercy. But we do get what we don't deserve. And this is grace. This is grace. It's God's ultimate favor. And God's ultimate favor is twofold. One is that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And two, that he raised him up in power, giving us power over the grave, over death, hell, and the grave. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. That's good news, isn't it? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what was it raised Jesus from the dead? It wasn't angels. It was the spirit of God. What is spirit? Everybody go, breath. Numa, ruah, breath. That's what spirit is. You can't see it, can you? Sometimes you can smell it, but it's another story. All depends on where it comes from. But breath, life, wind. That's why on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered together in the upper room, 140 of them there and they're praying, 120 of them, about. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, how did he come? He came like a mighty rushing pneuma. Spirit, wind. He came like a rushing mighty wind. And this is what the Spirit of God is like. And when he raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God breathed life into that, bo- that lifeless body, and Jesus came to life again. And I want to tell you something. 
that when that trumpet sounds, my mom and dad, who are buried on a hillside up near Marion, North Carolina, both of them love Jesus with all their heart. When that trumpet sounds, that last trumpet, you know what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to breathe life into those bodies, and ain't no grave going to hold those bodies down. <laughs> They're coming out. They're coming out. Same for you and me. No matter where we are, what we're doing, the breath of God breathes upon us in that last day. We're going to be resurrected with him. That's what this is all about. That's what resurrection day is all about. Because if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit dwells in you. He's going to raise you from the dead too. Amen. That's what the new birth is all about. That's what this new life is all about. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying about being born again is having the Spirit of God within you. I want to read something from you. This is from the second chapter of Hebrews, from the Message Bible. And it's so good, I had, to, I had to get it out this morning. It's too long for me to write down, so I just brought my little Message Bible with me. And I like Peterson's account of this because it's just, it's just cool. So you've got to listen to it, okay? And, and just be patient with me for a minute. He says... God didn't put angels in charge of this business of salvation that we're dealing with here. It says in Scripture, What is man and woman that you bother with them? Why take a second look their way? You made them not quite as high as angels, bright with Eden's dawn light, but then you put them in charge of your entire handcrafted world. Think of that. When God put them in charge of everything, nothing was excluded. But we don't see it yet. Don't see everything under human jurisdiction. What we do see is Jesus made not quite as high as angels and then through the experience of death crowned so much higher than any angel with a glory bright with Eden's dawn light. In that death, by God's grace, he fully experienced death in every person's place. It makes good sense that God who got everything started and keeps everything going, now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. Since the one who saves and those who are, who have, who are saved have a common origin, Jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as family, saying, I tell my good friends, I'll tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters, all I know about you. I'll join them in worship and praise to you. Again, he puts himself in the same family circle when he says, Even I live by placing my trust in God. And yet again, I'm here with the children God gave me. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of all the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain and all the testing, and he would be able to help where help was needed. He has destroyed the power of the devil. He's destroyed the power of sin and death so that we don't have to go around being scared to death of death. That makes sense? I was at the gym a couple of weeks ago, and a young lady called me over. She knows I'm a pastor. 
And she said, I, I need to talk to you for just a second. I said, okay. She said, I said, what, what, do you, what do you need to know? And I always braced myself because people ask me some really deep theological questions. And sometimes I'm like, oh, my God. Can I get back to you on this? But she said, my, my 11-year-old daughter has been waking up in the middle of the night for the past several weeks, scared to death of death. And she said, what do I tell her? And I said, well, here's the thing. And, you know, it's just like total recall sometimes. And I'm no theological genius or anything like that. But I do try to read the scriptures. And all I could think of was what Jesus told Martha in John chapter 11. Remember when Lazarus had gotten sick and Jesus and and Mary and Martha were some of Jesus' main supporters. Jesus stayed at their house a lot and fellowship there a lot and stuff, and, and they contributed to his ministry. Well, their brother Lazarus had gotten sick, and they sent for Jesus, and Jesus was only four miles away when they sent for him. And Jesus didn't come right away. He waited four days to come. And so when he was coming back, you know, his disciples said, you know, Jesus, what's, what's going on with Lazarus? He said, well... He's asleep. And they're like, well, that's good. If he's asleep, then that means he's getting over his sickness and he'll be fine when we get there. He says, no, you don't understand. He's dead. Oh. And I imagine the disciples are scratching their heads saying, well, they came and asked him four days ago to come here. We don't always understand what Jesus is doing. We don't understand the, the mind of God, but... When Jesus gets back there, of course, Mary and Martha are probably sitting thinking the same thing. Obviously, they are. Because when Martha spies Jesus off in the distance, she runs out of the house and runs to him. And I imagine Martha was the kind of girl, you know, she was always a woman of detail. You can read it. I mean, it doesn't just absolutely say in the scriptures that Martha was a woman of detail. But if you look at what it says about her, she was always busy doing stuff. You know, taking care of business. And so she runs out to Jesus. She says, where were you? If you would have only come, Lazarus would still be alive. Martha and Mary, I don't know if Mary was just so mad she didn't want to come out or she was just so brokenhearted. I don't know. But she loved Jesus. And I I can only, in my human thinking, imagine what they were going through, the emotions that they were experiencing at that moment. But when Martha comes out to Jesus, and Jesus just says to her, Martha, Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? She said, of course I believe that on that day we're all going to rise from the dead, blah, 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 you know, all that. And Jesus said, no, Martha, 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 wait a minute, calm down. Martha, I, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, Yet shall he live. You know, Jesus was saying that I am the resurrection. If Jesus had been laid in that tomb and he had not come out, it would all have been over. He would have just been another good man who'd done a lot of good stuff and was buried and, and they marked his tomb and there he is to this day. Maybe they had a religion started about him or something and, you know, people went about being like Jesusites and doing good things but never really accomplishing much other than that. 
But Jesus died and he rose again in power and because of the power of the resurrection and because of the spirit of God that raised him from the dead and because that spirit has been invited to live inside of us, he has given us power over sin and death and hell and the grave and over all the forces of the enemy. God has given us power to move mountains. God has given us power to heal the sick, to raise the dead. God has given us power to preach the gospel. God has given us power, and it's all because of the resurrection, and this is God's ultimate favor on us. Amen. So, if we have God's ultimate favor toward us, it's God's grace. Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sins, he defeated the devil, he thwarted his plans, and he made us children of God and heirs of salvation because when we believe in him and we eat his flesh and we drink his blood, we become flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. When we have that communion with him, when we have that common union with him, we are his children, we are his brothers, as it were. And because of all this, We got this to look forward to. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see a whole chapter that's dedicated to people of faith. Theologians call it the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame. You know, in Jerusalem, there is a hall of faith. And you can go there and you can go in and you can look and you can see the shrine set up to this man and this woman, this man, this woman. There's Barak and Deborah and there's Samson and there's David and there's Solomon. There's all these people, you know. That, and Abraham, of course, is a special one to Abraham. I'm just making that up. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, you read about all these people that were people of faith. And some of them... Some of them were, you know, though they never saw in physicality the things that they were believing for, they saw it where? In their faith. In their hearts, they saw it. And many of them died horrible deaths. I think Isaiah was, was said of him that he was sown in two. Stretched out between two trees and literally sawn in two. And, you know, one half went this way and one half went that way. Others were killed in the courtyards because of their faith. And others were thrown to lions. And others, you know, were persecuted because of their faith. But they were faithful. So now, these saints of God, you know where they are? They're in heaven. And you know what they're doing? There's this great arena called the arena of faith that you and I are all in. And we've got this great crowd of witnesses around us, all the saints who've gone before. And in the spirit realm, you can hear them crying out, keep going, keep going, Becky. Keep on going. Press on in. Keep going. Keep running. Keep running. Oh, you're doing good. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, you failed. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Keep. Get back in the race. Come on. Don't stop. Keep going. We have those, this great cloud of witnesses around us, and they're spurring us on. And you got to see it. You got to see it in the mind of the spirit. And it says in, in, in the Message Bible, in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 4, he says, Do you know what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans are cheering us on. 
It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating, that exhilarating finish in, in, in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You know, sometimes we need a good shot of adrenaline in our souls to spur us on. I believe the King James Version says, says uh, seeing therefore that we're encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, and that sounds more religious, doesn't it? Let us lay aside every weight and every hindrance that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that set it before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I kind of like what this says. I kind of like it. Let, it. let it shoot a shot of adrenaline into your spirit to think that there are others who've gone before, and Jesus himself went before you. And he endured. How? He persevered. How? Through the favor of God. Through the grace of God. Knowing who he was. Knowing that he was God's son and he was sitting here for a purpose. We also know that because of what Jesus did and because we've been born into his family, that we are what? The sons of God. We are. And if we are the sons of God, that means that we shall rise. That death has no place on in, in our life, has no hold on us. That young lady, when I talked to her about life and what we have in Jesus it brought such peace to her that to understand that we don't have to be scared to death of death. That we're alive in Christ. We can never die. Jesus said that he that believeth in me, though he shall live, he shall never die. He shall never die. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. You might beat this body down, put me in a hole, smother the breath out of me, but I'm still alive. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Anybody ever tried to kill poison oak around your garden and stuff? I'm, I'm a lot more powerful than poison oak. I'm coming back. You can't get rid of me. So the devil, he, just, he don't like it, but there's not a thing he can do about it. And I like that. You know, I want the devil, and I believe he does. He likes it when I sleep. And he hates it when I get up in the morning. I won't even think, oh my Lord, he's getting up again. I want to give him all the trouble he can stand because of, of the favor of God on my life. And God has shown his ultimate favor toward me. Man, I was created for something. I don't know about you. You were. Are you fulfilling what you were created for? You're created for greatness in the kingdom of God. How can we be great in the kingdom of God? By being servants of all. That's how we can be great. And that's what Jesus did for us. He showed us how to do it. And since he's already authored the way and showed us how, 
Let's, let's, get that, let's get pumped up in the spirit and let's do it ourselves. Amen. Let's walk in the favor, the good favor of God. Now, I've told you before, and I want you to understand this, and I say it every week. I am God's favorite child. You understand? And who are you? Amen. You are God's favorite child. I'm God's favorite child. Because he has shown us his favor. And when he shows us his favor, then we are his favorites. Now, why do they call people of Israel Israelites? Huh? Because they are from Israel. They are Israelites. I am from God's favor. So I am God's favorite. Amen. Amen. When you get a hold of that, it changes everything. You understand the reasoning why God's done everything he's done. It's because he loves you. He loves you. So how was the love of God manifest toward us? And while we were yet sinners of sinners, sinful sinners, Jesus died for us. Wow. Wow. I want you to understand something. I had heard about the wrath of God from the time I was a little boy. The preacher would get up on Sunday, and he was like a guy that had two strings on his guitar. Wrath and hell. And he would play that wrath and hell string and beat that thing into the ground. And I remember one night falling asleep in church. I had a, had a busy day playing with my buddies. And I'd gone home visit with some friends. I mean, when I go home and play with other kids, you know, because we had 11 of us at my house. And, and so I would always look forward to seeing somebody new, you know. And so we'd go, and we would play hard. And so I remember that day playing hard, and we'd come, and we would have church on Sunday night. And I'm sitting in this little Church of God church out in a place called Back Cave, North Carolina. Is anybody familiar with Back Cave? And, and we, the, the church was so far out in the woods that literally it was down Highway 64, which is a country road. And then there was a dirt road off of the country road. And at the end of that dirt road was a little church where we went to church. It was about 20 miles away from our house. I fell asleep in church. And the last words that I remember was, If you die and go to hell, it's going to be dark. You're going to be alone and you're going to be scared. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, everybody was gone. (laughs) I was alone. It was dark. I was scared because I was only seven years old. What had happened, all 11 kids... And two cousins and mom and dad had rode to church in a 1950 Chevrolet Bel Air. That's a lot of people to get in a Bel Air. So we had to stack them in the back seat, you know, like three high. Thank God we had bench seats up front. We could put 14 in the front seat and 15 in the back. We had that thing packed full. 
And so when they loaded up in the car, they just naturally assumed I was there, but I wasn't there. So they took off without me. And when I woke up, those words were ringing in my ears. If you die and go to hell, it's going to be dark. You're going to be alone and you're going to be scared. Boy, was I ever. And I tore out the front door of that little back cave church of God. And I walk outside and I saw the moon. I thought, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. And I'm thinking at the end of this road, which is about a mile away, was a family that went to our church. And they had a telephone. But we didn't have one. Not that was going to do any good. But I made a beeline up to that house. And I guarantee you that of every track runner that's ever run track, I could have beat them. I broke every land record known to man getting to that house. I'm sure of it. Probably looked like the road runner, you know, just a little cloud of dust. But I'm there from that little church to that house in probably 30 seconds, it seemed like. I'm getting there as fast as I can. So when I get there and I walk up and I knock on the door, they open the door and they're standing there talking on the phone because the phone was one of those, you know, that connected to the wall and they were standing there talking and they looked and they saw me. He says, he's standing right here. Mom and dad realized when they got about 15 miles down the road that I wasn't there. I guess they started doing a head count. Oh, he's missing again. And so they called these people and everything worked out. It worked out good. But what I'm saying is, that we hear so much about the wrath of God. And it's very real. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, it says in Romans chapter 1. But if you continue in the book of Romans, you see that God wants to take us from a place of wrath into a place of righteousness through His grace. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Romans are very grim up until about halfway through the third chapter because it's talking about the righteous wrath of God being revealed against unrighteousness and against sinners. But when it gets to the third chapter and it starts talking about the grace of God, it starts talking about how we're justified by faith. It starts talking about the goodness of God and how that He has shown His ultimate favor toward us things begin to change that's what it's all about this morning and you're here this morning because God has brought you here somebody needed to hear this message this morning to some of us it's almost like we've heard it before and we've heard it so much and I hope you've heard it enough that you could share it with somebody else and it would make sense but for somebody here this morning this is probably and though you may have heard it before Something's clicked in your heart this morning. Something's clicked in your heart. And and you understand now that God doesn't hate you. God's not out to get you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's done all that he could possibly do to show you his favor. Show you how much he loves you. By allowing his son Jesus to die on the cross. But it's just never clicked till now. And if you're like I was, when it clicked in my heart, 
I ran to Jesus. I ran as hard as I could to Jesus. I ran to my mom and dad's house, which was about three ways, three, three miles away from where I was. Three o'clock in the morning. And I went in. And I went into their bathroom and I kneeled down at the porcelain throne. And I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered. And for some of you this morning, you heard the gospel. You heard it preached so many ways. You've heard that hell is hot and heaven's not. And sin is bad and God is good. But for some reason, it's just never really clicked until now. And God has done something in your heart today because His Spirit is at work right now. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.